You're listening to Radio Influence. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, my friends. It is episode number 11 of Duffified Live. That's exactly what's going on. Start off a little bit slow, didn't I? I scared you there. You guys thought, oh my God, what's wrong with him? He's not super excited and, and powerful and, and speaking in super fast, crazy words. No, I'm not. You know why? Because I'm tired. I had a long week, man. A crazy long week. Running around all the time. We had draft in Philadelphia this week, so it was just a kind of a nutty week. Um, I uh, I had some fun, though. I really did. I went out with some friends on Monday. Just kind of chilled out. Uh, Tuesday night, I was up in New York for the James Beard Awards for my brothers, which was pretty awesome. Uh, they were nominated for two James Beard Awards, uh, which... Uh, it's pretty awesome. You know, if you think about it, they're a young production company. Um, they did a show that they created with Emeril Lagasse called Eat the World, which was really just an amazing show. And it's kind of cool to watch. I've talked a little bit about it before, but um, it, it's a neat show. And there's some really cool stuff. There's uh, Emeril Lagasse goes around the world with six chefs. Okay. Not all at the same time, but each city or each place that they go to has a... Uh, has an additional chef with them. So they went to Shanghai with uh, Mario Batali. They went to Sweden with um, Marcus Samuelson, um, went to Spain with uh, Jose Andres, went to Cuba with Aron Sanchez, went to Italy with Nancy Silverton. Um, I'm missing somebody. Uh, went to China with Danny Bowen. So, Pretty cool stuff with this whole show and with Emerald, um, you know, coming back on the scene after all these years, um, you know, between Emerald Live. I mean, he's the guy that really kind of kind of created the world of celebrity chefs. And I'm talking before, you know, I'm talking after, obviously, Julia Childs, Jacques Pepin and uh, Martin Yan and the Galloping Gourmet and uh, the Raging Cajun and all those guys. I think Raging Cajun was that a was he a wrestler or was he a chef? I can't remember. But. So they created this show where Emeril Lagasse gets to go around the world and 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 basically source and find the greatest items. So they were looking for the perfect dumpling in Shanghai with Mario Batali, who cursed the entire episode. Pretty awesome. I loved it. Um, the second, uh, you know, they went to uh, Cuba with Aron Sanchez and um, Emeril cried. Like, you know, he had a really kind of poignant moment there. That was something that was really important to him. And he, he, he actually kind of cried during that episode. So. Uh, so my brothers did not win the James Beard Awards, uh, but it was awesome that they were nominated. It was really neat to go up and see the process of the media section of how they do the awards with TV and all that. It's not just about chefs and it's not just about the books. Um, there's a lot that goes into the media as well. Um, I got to listen to um, uh, Andrew Zimmern talk about... Uh, hospitality and and what he does and what we do in the industry. And I'm going to play that for you guys in just a second, because it's a really kind of neat piece uh, that I really like. So it's probably going to sound like shit. I can't guarantee how good it's going to sound, but, uh, but it's there. So it's something that I, I really enjoyed listening to. 
And it was really just a great speech. Um, I, I hope you guys are going to be able to hear it. Um, I'll play that in just a second because um, it's actually my phone's on my bed. So I'm going to have to walk away. So hold on one sec. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I told you. I told you I'd be right back. I wasn't going to be gone that long. I can't just leave you guys hanging like that, you know? I got to get right back to you. I love you people. So uh, listening to Andrew Zimmern talk about, uh, you know, what it's like and what he does and how hard it is. Because guess what? It's, it's not an easy world being out there sometimes. You're away from your families for, forever, you know, forever. You're really just away. Um, and it kind of sucks. So to go up to New York, hang out with my brothers and my parents, um, and, you know, we went out to dinner. We had a good little meal at the James Beard or at the uh, Pier 60 in New York. Uh, and then just sit there and watch it. You know, I mean, you have a pride that kind of comes through with your brothers and your family, everybody sitting there. It was really neat. It was really kind of a cool thing for me. Um, then I went out with my brothers. We like chilled out. And I got back into Philly and then boom, like smack dab right into the restaurant. So I just had a kind of a nutty week with that. But uh, it was fun, man. What a great week. I love watching just really cool things happen. So let me see if I can play this for you and if you guys are going to be able to hear it or not. But this is um, Andrew Zimmern. Um, who is accepting his award for best personality on the TV show. So let me see if I can do this right. All right. And when I went to the travel channel with this idea, I, I, I sold them the Trojan horse. I said, white guy goes around the world, eats, you know, bug shit. And you know, we're going to make a really great show. Um, and they thought that was a good enough hook at the time. And, uh, what I really wanted to do was make a show about people and about a quality in the world that seemed to be having less and less of it all the time and about telling stories about the things that brought us together rather than the things that divided us. Um, it seemed we were having too many conversations about, you know, Bobby's got different skin color, Sally likes girls, uh, Tommy likes boys, uh, this, you know, we all believe in a different God. It seemed to be a lot of conversations about things that we didn't have in common rather than things that we do have in common. And Naomi touched on it easier when she won for her Persian cookbook. The, the world is about people, and I wanted to tell stories about people. Um, that's very difficult to do um, in the commercial television space um, and in the entertainment business. Many masters need to be served. Um, so I would like to thank Travel Channel um, for letting me make the show I want to make most of the time. Um, so thank you. Um, professional stuff out of the way. Um, you can't do this without the support of amazing people, great production company, in tremendous entertainment, fantastic partners all around the world, great, great, great uh, crew, um, but all of that, network, everything, just pales in comparison to uh, my wife and son giving me the, the privilege and the permission to do this show and to be away from them all the time. So thank you. Um, and 
And last but not least, though I'm going to, to name them, um, there are lots of other people besides Emerald and Mario and I uh, that could be standing up here being deserved of this award. Just the same way in every other category, you could have read almost anyone's name and everyone would have sat there and gone, yeah, they deserve it. At this level, what we do and at the level that we do it, I mean, how do you separate Multissimo from Bizarre Foods? I, I don't know how you do that. Um, but what's important sometimes is the product we make and sometimes it's it's who we are and um i've known emerald a long time and we just recently got to spend quite a large amount of time together and he's an amazing human being um you know but i just want to let you know as a human being there's not a finer person in the room than mario batali we had at the gondola many years ago where I got bitch slapped up the head and said you know a lot of people come and go you may stick around for a while here's how you might want to think about life uh, thank you for that um, and also to the James Beard Foundation who does so much in the in the spirit of James Beard to advance uh, the idea that the culinary arts, the people who write about them, work in them, toil in them, at every single level, we're so lucky here at this level. I mean, look around you. I mean, we are the, the tenth of one percent in this food world, and there are millions of people toiling away, servers, dishwashers, you know, food prep people, guys. This part right here is what I love, because he, he goes back in and he thanks everybody that works in the industry. And not a lot of people do that. A lot of people get up there and they thank their sous chef or they thank their, you know, they thank their manager or their agent or whatever it is. But but he gets in and he thanks the dishwashers and the servers and the cooks and all the people that really make what we do um, a lot easier. You know, I mean, I, you're you're taking a product that you believe in. And you're entrusting that into the hands of other people to execute. That's a really hard thing to do. And being in a, pro, in, in, in a position that I am where I get to create menus all over the world and ask people to execute my vision at a higher level than sometimes what, other, what people are used to, it's hard to do. And when people understand that, you know, I, I, I always talk about a Cuban sandwich being the perfect bite. And I have, um, I have a Cuban sandwich that I do on my menu that is this beautiful, beautiful bread made with lard and butter. And it's just delicious and it melts in your mouth. And, and then on top of that, we put this beautiful mustard. It's just a really nice Dijon mustard that goes around the whole outside so that it gets all the way to the edge of the bread. Then on top of there, I lay two very thin slices of pickles on either side. One in one corner, one in the other corner. Then I put a pickle relish that goes in between the two. And then I top that with two slices of Swiss cheese that are stuck perfectly in the center of the bread so that it hits all the way along the edges, not hanging over none of that stuff. Then I take two pieces of prosciutto di cotto and I pop that on top of there, two ounces on each one so that they're perfectly matched. And then what we do is I put a little bit of paper in between and I press them together, okay? And then prior to service... We unwrap this sandwich that we just created basically as a muffaletta. And then I put that sandwich in between, or I take a little that paper out of the sandwich out of the plastic after it's been sitting there and it's muffaletta and it's marinated and macerated and just perfectly sitting ready to go. And then I take hot 
rosemary and sea salt and extra virgin olive oil pulled pork. And I lay that through the center of it. So that's my version of a Cubano. But when you fold these two pieces together, I have a pickle in every single corner. I have a mustard in every single bite. I have Swiss cheese in every bite and prosciutto de cotto in every bite and pulled pork in every bite. That to me is the perfect. And to try to get somebody to understand the reasoning behind why you're doing it as opposed to just follow a recipe and do this. But the passion that goes behind that is something that's really hard. So that's why it was. this is important to me, this part of what he's talking about. So I'm going to let you guys listen again. Potatoes in the back of trucks at four in the morning who provide our stories and make our world go round so that we can create the kind of content that the rest of the world seems to be eating up like there's no It's all great, but the world is made up of people. Thank you very much. See? Simple and to the point. Kind of a fun little story. I like that. It was a nice thing. So um, so that's what I have to start off this week is the idea of to say thank you to the people that are behind the scenes and uh, and to thank you guys. You guys are important to me. You guys, we get a bunch of downloads every single week, and I get to share little parts of my life with you guys, which is crazy to me still that people actually give a shit about what I do. But I do try to live a fun and exciting life, and I try to share my experiences with everybody. So um, so with that being said, talking about experiences, I was at uh, Thursday night. I went to an NFL draft party. Um, the draft was in Philly this week. We had a little over 200,000 people that stepped foot into our little town, um, a city of brotherly love. And one of the neat things was, one, I read an article this morning that there was not one single arrest this weekend of people that were in town for the for the uh, draft. So cheers to everybody who came in. You know, Philadelphia has a bad rap when it comes to certain things. But guess what? Fuck you guys. We just won. We just executed the largest outdoor draft that's ever been held. And did you know that the draft was initially the first time ever held in Philadelphia? I think that's pretty cool. Now we had it outside and we proved that we can do something that's pretty awesome. And I like that. Plus, I love seeing everybody come into the restaurant afterwards and hang out with us and do all that. It was really kind of a neat thing. But from there, I, uh, I got to meet with a couple of guys that I, I just really enjoyed. And, and the gentleman who I'm bringing up next, who's going to be on the show with me, um, is, is, is a very impressive dude. Really, really very nice guy. Um, this guy has uh, – he played for – uh, 11 years in the NFL. Um, he played 10 years for the Titans. Um, he played uh, a year um, for the Giants. Um, and he, uh, play, he played at Syracuse. So um, Keith Bullock, number 53, uh, has played, he played, like I said, 11 years in the NFL. Um, really nice guy, very sweet guy. We had a good conversation. Um, we talked about some food. I, I was really interested in the experiences of what it's like and, and the feelings of what he would have when it comes to, you know, like – like, you know, I mean, he was in seventh grade and he started playing football and then from there and he was a foster child, you know, and he was going to age out, as he said, at the age of 18. So he busted his ass all the way through high school to get into college and he went to Syracuse and he busted his ass at Syracuse. And then he finally got drafted number 30 first round um, at, uh, you know, you know, to go and play for the Titans, which, hey, guess what? I'm not a huge sports guy. I'm an experienced guy. But the experiences that these guys get to have is something that I really enjoy and I'm very intrigued by it because I love to know what it's like to be on the road or in the off season, what it is that these guys do or what they eat. So Keith, Hey, I want to thank you, dude. My, uh, my pleasure spending time with you and I appreciate you taking time out of your daughter's, um, and your wife's time out of your wife's life to come and hang out with me for a 45 minute conversation. So everybody do me a favor and, uh, you can please go check out, um, 
Mr. Keith Bullock. Uh, you can check him out at KBull53 on Twitter. You can check him out at KeithBullock53 on Instagram. They also like to call him uh, Chef Bully because he does like to play around with some food, which is something that I'm a big fan of. And Keith, this one's for you, dude. You come to Philly, I make you a ribeye. We sit down and we have a beer. Game on. Everybody enjoy this next little segment of Duffified Live Mr. Keith Bullock. All right, everybody. So uh, uh, I am on the phone right now. I'm actually uh, doing a little Skype uh, with Keith Bullock, uh, who y'all know. A uh, little football. Just a little bit. It was only 11 years, right? Yeah, 11. 10 in Tennessee, and um, I got to finish off with the New York Giants. I know being in Philly, you know, that, that's not that's not uh, <laughs> the favorite team, of course. But, um, you know, it's the home team for me, so it was a good way to go out. Yeah, man, it's uh, we're we're uh, Philly. We we try, man. We keep trying hardcore to make this happen. I don't know. I don't know what we got going on right now. Hey, man, uh, one of my good friends from college, Donovan McNabb, was was drafted to Philly, and it's funny. I saw him this week. Uh, I saw him at the draft this year, and um, you know, we were talking about the time when when he got drafted. He was the first round pick of the Eagles, and obviously, it was the year that the Eagles wanted. You know, the Eagles fans wanted uh ricky williams and they That's got right. donovan McNabb, and they booed him and i just remember uh, um you know our coach it was spring ball for us up at syracuse and coach pasqualoni had everybody in the auditorium because he knew that uh donovan was going to go in the first three picks and um you know when when he got picked we were all excited cheering and then actually the booze on the big screen tv overwhelmed the <laughs> cheers in the auditorium so dude we're tough you know, <laughs> we're tough as I, yeah yeah yo yeah definitely definitely i've always been i was a fan of the eagles um you know the days randall cunningham seth joiner reggie white so yeah, i can i definitely have much respect for the eagles and their following we did off to we pulled it off this weekend though yeah, for we sure. Did. Absolutely. I mean, look, Philly, Philly's uh, it's a northeast city. It's one of those cities that's going to, you know, it's going to wear his uh, emotions and feelings on his sleeve. So if they're not feeling Roger Goodell, you're going to get booed. Yeah, like, man. You know How about that? That was a riot, man. That was that was good. And then who was, uh, uh, I guess, Westbrook walked up and started talking shit about Dallas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. I mean, look, it was a good time. And you know what? Like, I look, I got drafted in 2000. Um, and I was at home and, you know, I probably would have been one of the guys that would have been invited now the way they do it. But um, they've turned it into something enjoyable for the fans, yeah. um, you know, and it, it's look at the end of the day, they're going to make their money. So, you know, it, it was a, a good time. I, I found myself watching it at times and in times I, you know, could care less. It was, and my understanding, and I was doing a little bit of research on the draft this weekend because, because look, I, I mean, I was never a huge football plan, fan. As I told you, I was a rugby player, man. I played right. football. I broke a guy's arm. It happened. And then I started playing rugby. So, uh, you know, where I could break somebody's arm and not feel bad about it. But, right. uh, I mean, look, they're both equally as physical. We just guard ourselves a little more. A <laughs> little bit. You got, you know, you guys get to stop after every play and have a break and do that good stuff. But, uh, uh, I, I loved it. I mean, when did you start? When did when did football start? Um, I started playing when I was uh, about I think eleven years old, eleven to twelve years old, definitely in the fifth grade. And um, you know, just like any kid, like I didn't really know where what pads went in what part of my pants, and it was all an experience for me. And then, um, you know, it got better <laughs> as time went on. What uh? I mean, was there a period where you were like, you know, this is what I want to do? Did it happen in high school? I mean, obviously, every kid like I played and I wanted to go pro. You know, I mean, I was 
and, and I was a rugby player. I wanted to go pro. But but for you, was there a period during when you were when you were, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade? Or was it something in high school you were like, wait, I'm really good at this? Nah, for me, like I was I was a foster kid. Um, so for me, I, I you know, um, at in seventh grade, I went into foster care. So, um, you know, I think in about like tenth, uh, maybe like eleventh grade is when um, I got like uh, my first letter. Or North Carolina State came to the school and visited, and then I saw it as a way to get out of my situation because I was going to age out at 18, meaning um, when you're in foster care, you can age out at 18 or 21, and that's when the state stops providing, um, you know, your foster family or your foster parent, um, you know, state funds uh, for taking care of you. So um, it wasn't probably until college that I saw that I had a shot because as a redshirt freshman, I shared time with a fifth-year senior, and he went as a free agent. And then that's when I was like, man, you know, we kind of had, like, similar stats, you know what I mean? Um, He played a little bit more just because he was older, but that's kind of what gave me that motivation. And then guys like, you know, Donovan McNabb, Donovan Darius, Bucky Jones, like the older guys that were on that path already um, to the NFL. You know, I think I I came up with a a great bunch of – you know, senior veterans or upperclassmen, I should say, um, at Syracuse when I was there. That's cool, man. And then what, I mean, playing at Syracuse, I mean, big school, you guys are out there. My whole thing is something that I've always, you know, we always want to be a rock star. Grown up as a kid, you want to be a rock star. You want to be the kid on the field. I mean, what is that? I mean, college ball to me is just amazing. I mean, that whole world of getting out on that field, 70,000 people just standing there staring at you and screaming. And how, I mean, what's that like? Yeah, I mean, look, it's like you said, Rockstar's job is to go out there and perform. And if you're not prepared and you don't do all your things you're supposed to do, look, just like in any profession that you got to, you know, service based or people are, have expectations of you, um, you're not going to look good. So it was the first, the preparation part, of course, but um it was great. I remember playing in front of a hundred thousand at the big house, you know, in Michigan, like that was the biggest crowd ever at, at that time. Um, you know, our dome held, um, about 50,000 and made it sound like it was a hundred. So, um, but it's not like it, it is today. It definitely college football doesn't get the, you know, the hype and grandeur that it does today. Um, look, I, I'm 40. I played college when I was 95 to 99. So, Although we did get like, you know, hype and everything and I enjoyed myself thoroughly and it was, you know, <laughs> everything that it was cut out to be. But I can only imagine, um, you know, these high school kids uh, coming out, you know, they get scholarships in ninth grade and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty turned into a pretty lucrative business, college football. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, man. And I, I mean, you got to love boosters, right? Everybody loves a booster. Yeah, so. I didn't know too many. <laughs> <laughs> I said I went to Syracuse. I didn't go to uh, Florida, right, Florida State, Michigan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no shots, no shots at all. Nothing going on there. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. And then, so I mean, ten years going from Tennessee and then moving into New York. I mean, how does that? You, I mean, I, I mean, I guess it. You know, for me, like I'm a chef. It, it's going restaurant to restaurant. But you right. know, I mean, going from Tennessee and then ten years in one place and then moving into. I mean, you're talking about the Giants, man. I mean, that yeah. just had to be, is there something inside of you that you're like, ah, screw it, I'm just going to another team? I mean, how does that, how does that work with you in a mental sense? 
Well, I was really very selective because I was coming off of an injury when I went to the Giants. And, um, you know, the way you your analogy, like, you know, restaurant to restaurant, it's like, look, if you cooked in wherever you're from and you loved it and you made a name for yourself and people all over the country know who you are. And look, you're very fine with staying there. You don't want to leave. But if business doesn't go right, maybe you're, you know, beefing back and forth. I don't know. Whatever happens in the restaurant industry that forces you to leave. But. You go to somewhere where like, look, now this is the top, top shelf. Like, this is where it's at. And, you know, you just make it your home for a year. So um, although I had a great career in Tennessee, I love Tennessee. And um, going to the Giants was just like, um, you know, playing that. To me, that's what like, uh, you know, an organization probably is, is like first rate organization. Not to say that Tennessee isn't, but it's a very young organization and um, we're still learning. You know, I played in Tennessee within the first 10 years of its existence. So as a, as a franchise where the New York Giants are one of the more storied of, um, you know, NFL. So and being from New York, you know, it's kind of a little bit nostalgic being able to you know, just the drive home that I've made many times <laughs> driving by Giant Stadium to actually be a part of the team that you grew up watching. It was pretty cool. But, you know, of course, unfortunately, they come second to my Tennessee Titans. <laughs> now, what's it like? I mean, getting on a field and and I mean, you're you're beating the shit out of each other. And now these are guys that you played with for years leading up to it. And now now it's no holes barred, man. I mean, you're going after them at this point. What is that like? I mean, is it- I mean, it was love, man. I'm like, like you said, I played on Tennessee for ten years. I held it down. I was one of the top dogs on our defense, you know, the whole time I was here. And then, yeah, like I've never lost to the New York Giants, but and I played against a lot of those guys that I were teammates. But I was coming off an injury, so a lot of those guys, um, you know, all those guys picked me up, you know, when I could have really been down. So, um, you know, I always have a special place in my heart for that team that I play with. Um in that 2009 season. I think. And then the next year they went on to win the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I definitely saw that happening. You know what? The, um, the, the, the miracle in the Meadowlands, I think, when Deshaun Jackson returned that punt. That's was, right. Um, the year, that's the year that I was on the Giants. And um, we went 10-6 and six and didn't make the playoffs because of the D-Jack podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Now, nah, D-Jack is a good friend of me. He's a friend of mine. I say that all lightheartedly. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time, man. I, I definitely in, enjoyed myself. That's awesome, man. I mean, what, what's it – I mean, here's the simple question. What is it like doing something I, – I mean, we all know what it's like – we all don't know, know what it's like doing something that we love. But, I mean, you know, you saw it as an opportunity to move forward. You said you were going to age out at 18, and then you moved into going to college and stuff like that. I mean, and you got to do something that you loved. I mean, for 11 years straight, you got to play football and get paid for it at the same time. Right. I mean, how does that, I mean, you're, 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 you're a pro football player, man. Right. I mean, that's, well, the, I mean, yeah, it's awesome. man. like, as a kid, everybody has that dream. And then as a kid, everyone has a realization, well, sh- I can't go much further with this. You know what I'm saying? And then they go on to something else. Like you said, you played football, then you went to rugby and then you went to culinary school. You know what I'm saying? And you, you know, been cooking and creating um, different platforms for you to cook and other people to thrive and t- um, taste what you do. It's almost like an art. So um, in the same sense, uh, it's just like anyone that does something that they love. You know, uh, you've worked hard for it. You tried to be the best. My whole thing with playing professional football was I wanted to be the best in my position. It didn't make sense to do it 
something like that if you're not going to try to be the best. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's what it was about for me at one point. One point, you know, I want to just have my jersey. I want to get on the starting roster. Then I want to get my jersey in stores. And then, um, you know, I want to go to the Pro Bowl. Then I want to get a badass contract. And then I want to, you know, at some point probably just, you know, solidify my career and then right off to the sunset, you know? So I think that's kind of how it went for me, man. That's wild. What, um, I mean, and then, you know, I mean, all, all kids think about it and all that stuff. What's it like seeing your number, your name hanging on a wall? You know what I mean? When you're going in, you're walking into a store and I mean, look, I, I know what it's like to bring a lady friend into my restaurant. You know, I'm, right. I'm pretty proud of that. But imagine walking into like a Models and being like, that's right. my shit right there. Like that's with, with, the, with the lady friend, right? Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll have to go back and into the archives and see how they felt about that. But um, nah, it was it was cool, man. Because no, seriously, because um, I really remember um, an interview um, when I was young, and like I didn't really know I had fans. Like you know what I mean? When you're a pro, um, like for the first time, I didn't realize. Oh, I really, you know, there are Keith Bullock fans out there. Like I'm their favorite player and that was surreal to me and I just I remember um a teammate of my Lance Schultz he went to a small school in Hofstra and um from in New York he's from Brooklyn we just want our jerseys in stores we wanted that feeling we wanted that feeling to be able to bring the hot chick to the restaurant you know what I mean <laughs> just on the arm yeah so <laughs> yeah so I mean obviously you guys travel tremendous amounts throughout the year what's your favorite city in the country um, my favorite city has multiple cities. What for? Like the nightlife? Well, or I mean, just... <laughs> all right. So let's go. Let's go. Uh, favorite city to play. Um, my favorite city to play would probably be Oakland. Um, uh, Philadelphia is a good city just because like, I'm thinking about crowds. I like rowdy sure. crowds. You know what I mean? Cause we're, we're visitors. We're on the, we're on the um, opposing team, so I like to be able to rub it in the um, crowd's face after we, you know. <laughs> but then if you lose, you know, they're going to give it to you. So it don't matter. Yeah. So it's, all, it's, it's all fun. Right. It's all fun. So I know they're going to give it to us. So it gives me gives you more motivation to go out there and, and win. So as you're leaving, you can kind of talk a little trash to the fans and feel good about yourself. But, um, yeah, uh, some nice cities. Uh, you always like playing in Miami because um, towards the end of my career, I like to go to – I would always go out to eat at a nice restaurant in that city. Just like you said, we get to travel all over these different cities. So I would just kind of get a recommendation of a, a rest, nice steakhouse or something that I could go to the night before game just to, like, chill out, check out the scenery, and, and get back in before curfew. Can't really do too much when we go to these cities because we get in the night before uh, the game and you probably have about four or five hours to yourself before curfew at 11 and then we're out right after the game so you know just get a little sample do you guys ever get to hang out in the cities after uh you know depending on how good you're doing like if we're if we're winning um you know you could ask coach if you could stay over uh you know you just have probably have to be back before a certain time on monday or tuesday especially if he gives you monday off because in the nfl your day off is tuesday so, if, you know, normally, like, if you have a, a nice win on a Sunday, he'll give you a Monday off. So if you get to him fast enough, you know, Jeff, my head coach was Jeff Fisher. So he was cool like that. Nice. And then so you guys had Tuesdays off. What you guys, Monday was going in and just going back through and watching the games. and, and Yeah. 
Yeah, Monday you just go back, you watch the game, you um, you know, it's your day to kind of unwind, man. You know, uh, you gotta get all the the soreness out from the day before. A lot of times, if you just sit around after you just were running around and competing the day before, and you just sit around the next day, your body stiffens up. You realize you have injuries that um you didn't realize on Monday because you were just laying around. So it's a way for you to get out. Um, you know, get out of your house, out off your ass and right. work out. Yeah, we usually watch the film as a team and, you know, coach addresses us. It's, it's really a light day. Nice. And then so going through, so you said you love a steakhouse. What's your steak? Um, uh, Ribeye. I like a nice ribeye. Some some places do a nice Cajun ribeye. Um, depends. I can do a fillet. You know, I would say ribeye, fillet, and strip. I say those are my, um, those are my, those are my three. Best steakhouse you've been to? Man, honestly, off the top of my head, I would have to say nine steakhouse in Vegas. Off wow. the top of my head, in, in the palm, like it, it's solid. Not just because of its steak, just because I feel anything like. You know, from its appetizers, from its um, from its sides, from the, the amount of different entrees they have. I, you know, obviously it's Vegas, so they could foot that type of menu. Oh, but um, crazy, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's so uh, I too just, much, so I know it. Yeah, right, right, right. Like you know, and and the lamb chops is something I always get from there too. So it's that's one of my favorite. Just when I just off the top of my head. Nice. So we uh, if next time you come to Philly, you got to go to R2L. All right. It's in Philly. And yeah. I'll tell you what, it's the best. It's the best ribeye that I've had anywhere in the country. Oh, the okay. absolute best. My second is Michael Jordan Steakhouse at the at the Mohegan Sun in in, uh, in uh, Connecticut. Wow. I mean, wow. they crush it. I even asked the chef. I'm like, dude, I want to know where you get your steak from. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. There's just no way I'm going to tell you where I get it from, man. But it's like wow. a beautiful 45 day age. It's a beautiful, beautiful steak. And then three is uh, the old uh, uh, Smith and Molenski that was in Vegas right on the strip, which they just okay. they close it. They're closing it down this month. They're clo- wow. And they've been there for. I eight- know the one you're talking about. Yeah. And it's been there for 18 years and it's its own freestanding building, but they're moving it into a casino somewhere. Right. So which sucks because there's something about that old Vegas that just happened to sit there amongst MGM and everybody else around it, the big monsters that are blowing up. But uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Vegas. I have fun out there. I have way too yeah, much fun me. out there. It's, it's hard not to. Um, before I get into Vegas fun, I want to ask you a question. You're talking about the cut at the Mohegan Sun. Yeah. Uh, like as a chef, like. Is it like what about the different cuts that you would know that it's the cut? Because me as just like a, like someone that's just eating a steak, um, I'm thinking it's the way he seasoned it or how long he left it on. <laughs> so what about the cuts determine, um, you know, the, the taste of the steak that you were able to pick out? So the ribeye is one of the most flavorful cuts. It's got the perfect mix of marbling as well as meat that goes into it. So it's a perfect mix. If you think about it on a, on a general scale, the filet has the, mo- has the least amount of fat that's in it. So a filet is really more about how tender that steak can be as opposed to how flavorful it can be. The ribeye has the most flavor because it's got the nice fat cap that runs along the top. It's got that eye right in the center and then that really cool kind of kind of little fatty cap that goes along the top of it. So and then there's two ages, two different ways to age a steak, a dry age, which is the way that I prefer, and then a wet age, which I'm not a huge fan of. A dry age actually there's a bacteria that starts to grow on the outside of the meat. Doesn't sound pretty, doesn't smell pretty. But then what they do is they cut that that bacteria off of it, but the meat goes from 
say, a 14-ounce a, a ribeye down to like a 12-ounce ribeye, and it concentrates all the flavor right inside of it. Uh. Yeah, so that's the way it comes. But if you ever come back to Philly, I want you to come into my place. I don't serve a ribeye there, but I'm going to make you a ribeye when you come into Philly. And I will, right. I will give you a sick ribeye, man. That's just seared, right. super simple, super basic. I'm a mushroom and onion guy right on top of it. And I love like a really good broccoli or broccolini or something on the side of that. That's like my go-to world. And okay. So, I mean, that was like a big one for me. I mean, what, what are you, so like, what are you, when you're in training, when you were in training, okay, what was your, like, what was your diet? I mean, cause you're a big uh, dude, man. I mean, you, you're not a little guy. Yeah, but like for my position, I wasn't that. So I didn't honestly, I didn't have a diet because I played at two thirty five, two thirty eight, and most guys that play my position are probably twenty, at least ten to twenty pounds, maybe even twenty five pounds heavier than that. Um, so yeah, I really didn't actually. The only diet I had was like a few weeks before camp. Like so, Fourth of July is when I would kind of like would be my last party week of the off season. Like you know that Thursday. The Sunday, we go to Vegas, 4th of July weekend, you know, tear it up. And then instantly that Monday, show up for a workout, throw up your brains. But like, yo, that, you, you know, you want to party, you got to work harder. You got to work through it. And then by like the end of that week, you're, you're good. You know what I'm saying? Although, you, of course, you've been training all year. But um, usually a few weeks before camp, I'm only about two third, low 230s. And I want to go into camp at least 240. So I'm going to drop during, you know, hot, humid summers in um, Nashville. So my diet was I'd eat McDonald's. I would eat double <laughs> cheeseburgers. <laughs> I would eat double cheeseburgers for lunch um, after after workouts because the whatever the BS that was in McDonald's, you know, McDonald's sure. helped me put on the, the weight that I needed yeah. um, to go into camp. So as far as like. I've always been lean. I was always a lean guy. Like I said, I went to school as a safety and then I got my, I changed my position. So, um, you know, it just, that's just my body type. And now actually being retired and, and 40 years old, it kind of is working to my favor. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? I mean, so, you know, I don't understand how it is that you guys can play one as hard as you do, as often as you do. And then you look at some of these guys, some of these other linebackers that are out there and whatnot that are, I mean, some of these guys are, are, fucking massive dude i mean some yeah. of these guys i mean they're just huge i mean how does that yeah i mean we're talking like guts hanging out over pants i, I mean look it's, you choose your body type and you choose your style of play and like i had to go with work for me you know i got you know my whole goal was to get to the nfl as a first round draft pick and when you get here um you see what it's about and you see what you have to do in order in order to have success and you know, I didn't really have to get any bigger or anything like that. I really just had to um, use my physical attributes. I had long arms and I had speed. Um, and, I was, I was, you know, I had power, all the power that I needed. You know, I wasn't in the weight room lifting 400 pounds at all, but I had the strength that I needed to play at a high level. So um, I think the misconception I know for young guys is that you have to be all big and, you know, crazy jacked or just, have a lot of weight in order to uh, play linebacker at this level. I think it's more so um, knowing what you're doing. Um, you know, if you need to be on a diet, you definitely need to keep yourself in shape. Um, you know, I wasn't around eating BS. I definitely eat good food. I just didn't need to like watch any weight. Although I had friends that played um, safety, like one of my good friends, he played safety and he's walking around all summer eating fat pills to like shred pounds <laughs> and stuff like that. So, 
I, I, I was kind of fortunate in that department. You know, I, I use analogies when it comes to football in, in the restaurant and when I work with staff and I always talk about the fact that there's a difference between family and team. A family supports each other and holds each other up, whereas a team holds you accountable. You know, I mean, it's a big thing because look, we're, we're I'm in a position with my restaurants and my clients and, and, the, and the stuff that I do even on TV. When I was in there, I was always about holding people accountable. And what is that like for you guys when you're I mean, look, if one of my guys doesn't put a burger on, he screws up a whole check. One of your guys drops a pass or misses a, you know, misses an opportunity for something. How, how does that translate then back through into the locker room, into practice for the next week? Are you guys just riding him all week long if it's a huge deal? I mean, are, are you just ribbing him? What, what is that like? No, I mean, like, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's a team, certain things like it's team that are more family unit like we're all around each other for 14 days out of 14 hours out of the day you know we spend a great deal of time around each other and what everyone else sees is the finished product you know what i mean um i always say look uh some people uh you work together you don't necessarily have to be friends but in order like you said to have success we all have to be on the same page and the guy that you know, if if the if the guy habitually keeps making a mistake, or if he habitually keeps forgetting to put the burger on the grill, and you keep asking every day, then you're gonna get on his ass because now he's becoming a liability. But if it's someone and he's he's working his ass off, and you know he did it, you know one week and he came back and did it, he does it once a month, or you know he's sure I'm sure he'll get the kinks out. You sure. know what I'm saying? Um, so you kind of want to, especially if he's a good player slash good worker, you kind of want to embrace him because obviously, um, you know you've been where he is, where he's at before. You know you've been that guy that that's forgot or messed up on the play that caused a touchdown. Um, just obviously, like anything else, you want to be a strong unit, and you don't want to have you know repeat offenders. Nice. So, what is your uh, what's your what's your world like now? I mean, I, you know, obviously, I'm a chef. I talk a lot about food and stuff like that. We kind of had a little joke going back and forth. You're going to teach me how to cook. At least that's what Don said. Right, I right, told right, you I was right. going to I was going to teach you how to tackle. So, you know, we yeah. I can wrap and drive with the best of them. Maybe not you, but I got you. So, what, what when it comes to food now, what is your? I mean, what's your? Do you, do you? What do you do? Do you cook? Yeah, I mean, I cook a lot, man. And um, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, I forget my Keith Bullock fifty three. That's my Twitter handle. Um, sometimes I I post what I'm cooking. I call myself Chef Bully. <laughs> just, you know, I just I just have fun with it because honestly, I have three little girls, um, and you know, for me, it's important for them to see their you know their dad cooking and stuff like that. My wife cooks. I think I just I think it's more of a chore for her to cook. Where like I kind of like I enjoy it. Um, like and when we get off the phone, I'm about to go to the grocery store and get whatever I'm going to prepare tonight. Um, but like, and cooking more has helped me like expand, like the ingredients I use. Like now I just always use like, you know, fresh garlic instead of garlic powder or like the minced garlic, you know what I'm saying? You don't buy fresh that, you don't buy that pre, pre-chop stuff, do you? I have before, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you know what I mean? I just do my own thing now. You know what I mean? Um, like I have a garden that has rosemary in it and stuff like that. I'm learning how to cook with, you know, different spices like turmeric, like and stuff like that. So for me, like uh, I'm enjoying it and uh, it, it makes it more fun when when I put it on my Instagram and then my boys are like, yo, <laughs> definitely. So my friends, it was funny. We were just in New York. Uh, I was just in New York with them. They're calling me Chef Bully. Yo, you got to come over, Chef 
Chapuli, Chapuli. So I just have fun with it. I definitely have fun with it. What's uh three girls, man? I got two. How old are your girls? Yeah. Uh, four, seven, and nine. Wow. You got them all right there, man. Yeah. So what do you what do you cook anything like? Is there anything special you cook for your girls? My girl's lucky enough. I mean, I'm a tough dad. So I'm the guy who's like, even if you've had spinach before, you have to try it every time I make it because ultimately we can find something that you like. You know, that's kind of the way that I live. My girls are uh, 16 and 13. Um, Emily is a she's a coxswain for crew. So she's four foot 11. She weighs 96 pounds. And then my 13 year old is a softball player. So she's five, four like 130 pounds, you know, so she's right. built like me. She's that brick shit house. Um, they eat, you know, they eat everything. I mean, a, a big argument in us is, are we going out for Indian or are we going out for sushi? You know, right, so right. my girls really do eat everything. And, and I've tried to, to give them uh, a, a palate that, that, that they're adventurous with, you know, yeah. very adventurous. And, and that comes from, uh, that comes from parenting, man. It, it's here, here, here's what we're going to have for dinner. I'm not making you right. chicken fingers and I'm not making you. Yeah, pork yeah, chops. yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, um, I let them pick sometimes on the, like something's funny. Cause I let them pick sometimes and like, they'll say something like, you know, shrimp Alfredo, like, you know what I'm saying? Cause like, that's like I say, I like to make different things. So sure. they'll be like, um, chicken jambalaya, like, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's just interesting. And you talk about the power my entry, my oldest one is very, um, very into trying new things. Like she's even tried like snails before. So That's awesome. Yeah, That's better. Great. Good for her. My, uh, <laughs> I, I, you said shrimp Alfredo. Here's, I, I do a great, I do a great shrimp stroganoff. Yeah. So, okay, you know, the old beef stroganoff, the beef yeah, usually yeah, ends up sure. being a little bit kind of like, uh, it can, ends up being a little bit dry and ends up cooking out. Yeah. So I'm a huge mushroom guy. I absolutely love mushrooms, but I just, I saute off my mushrooms. I add them in with some shallots and garlic. Um, and then I add like sour cream and a little bit of a beef base into it so that it kind of cooks out a little bit. And then I add my shrimp in last and then I have my noodles right over the top. It's, it's one of my daughters, both of my girls favorite dishes, super, super easy. I don't know what it is about egg noodles, but egg noodles make lots of things taste better. Um, so that's like a big thing for us. We are, Emily eats very healthy unless it's like Easter. Then she sits back and eats like three bunnies all day. And then my other daughter is obsessed with barbecue obsessed with barbecue there's always she's you know no matter that can i dip barbecue in this you know can i put it in barbecue she loves barbecue sauce she loves to cook she's 13 and she goes to she goes to culinary school during the summer um so she'll come home and she's making whether it be savory or pastry she really gets into it my older daughter cooks for herself a little bit she makes pasta and basic stuff um but now that now that there's a restaurant in philly it's it's let's go to you know it cost me 26 dollars. now they come into the restaurant taking an uber in for 13 right. and 13 right. back out afterwards um but they're they're good eaters man they're a lot of fun but that's that's parents that's that's us we right. we got to teach them how to do that stuff so um i, I want to go back to a little what is your like what i mean look you're a big dude. You played in the NFL. You guys partied when you were on the road. You guys partied when you were out. I mean, you got to you got you got to have a great story, like something that is just always in your brain when you see one of your buddies or something. And you're like, man, remember that night? Man, um, honestly, man, to, to tell you the truth, during the season there wasn't much partying. Look, maybe like on like like on our Monday night, we might fly out depending on how well we're doing that season or how bad, you know, look, sometimes I remember one year we started off 10 and 0 and 
Monday night football, we're going, pri- I mean, Monday, we're off on Tuesday. So on Monday, we're private jetting to New York from Tennessee to New York to, to party on a Monday night. You know what I'm saying? Uh, then the following year, we start 0-6 and in our bye week. We go, you know, um, after we get shellacked by the Patriots 52-0, we go to, we go to Miami for four, four or five days and party and we come back and we start on a six game winning streak. Um, you know what I'm saying? So during the season and, and we played in Tennessee, so, uh, you know, it wasn't too much going on during the season, but the off season, we definitely enjoyed ourselves. Um, I mean, I played for 11 years, so I have, multiple stories, Vegas stories, Miami stories, <laughs> Europe stories, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I think what what really most stands out is, um, yeah, I just feel like I maximized um, my time in the, in the NFL, meaning, you know, as hard as I went during the, during the off season training and everything like that, I definitely enjoyed myself um, off the field too. I feel like you have to. And, um, and those guys that, that don't, it, it just sucks for them because there's a whole world out there that they're, that they're missing. missing. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, all right. Best game, the most memorable game that you ever played. Um, the most memorable game that I ever played, uh, man, because normally uh, when I talk to chefs and stuff, I always say like, what was your best night in the kitchen? You know, because we have these moments, I think, and we all have them in our, especially if you're playing like football is a passion. Okay. Right. You don't, you don't just say, yeah, I think I'm going to play football. It's a passion to be a chef. There has to be a passion behind it. So I remember like my best night. I remember my worst night. So what, what do you think your best the, the best moment uh-huh. in the NFL then? Oh, it wouldn't be. I'll just, I'll just say, um, I'll say one of my best moments. I don't know if it's my best. I remember uh, we weren't playing too well. We weren't playing too well that season, and we happened to be playing on Monday night. And, um, you know, in playing in New York in the 90s, we didn't really play any many night games when it came to football. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we played all of them right after school, you know, or on Saturday afternoon. Um, but anyway, so I always thought I played when the lights came off, whatever, I always just played well. I'm going to play well. The lights are on, you know what I'm saying? Like big night in the restaurant, like Friday night or a Saturday night, whatever the restaurant night is playing on Monday night football. And you know, that week the reporter asked me if I ever played on Monday night football, obviously he didn't know who I was. (laughs) And I told him, I'm like, what? I'm Mr. Monday night. You know what I mean? And, um, They just took it, you know, my day for interviews was Wednesday. They took that and ran with it from Wednesday all the way on. So it was like, you know, like it comes like Saturday, they're still asking me, oh, you know, they're trying to hype it up. Like they're kind of putting like some pressure on me to perform or something like that. And I didn't really think anything of it. So going to the game um, against the Saints, I I had three picks on Monday Night Football against Drew Brees. So, you know, I'll forever be known as Mr. Monday Night. Mr. Monday Night, man. That's awesome. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So uh, it was cool, man, because it's almost like in a game, in, in sports, you can't really call your shot. Um, and, you know, uh, being from the East Coast and being from New York and being in the South, the Bible Belt, some people might think, thought at first, like I talked a little bit too much, but, you know, I always talked and I backed it up. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I enjoy that, especially now being retired, watching the game and see how it's played. I don't really see too many people calling their own shots. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what uh, was there any, what was the team that you at, like you couldn't stand? Like, was there like, you know, Philly's got Dallas and the funny part is Dallas doesn't give a shit about Philadelphia, but we hate <laughs> Dallas. So. Right. 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 
I would say uh, it's probably the Chargers, man, just because I've never beat them, man. They were just, yeah, we just never beat them. Like, there were times where they really, like, drug us up and down the field because they were just a better team than us. And then when we are equal or maybe even the better team, they always found a way to, like, squeak out of it. Like, like yeah, and then, yeah, I just never, that's a team I never beat. And I remember they used to beat our ass, and then when we got good enough, they would always, like, weasel out of some shit and right. just kind of, like, irk me, man. So, <laughs> so so now, after watching a season like they had last year, you're like, yeah, fuck you, Chargers. <laughs> and I, I don't care at this point. I, you know, I honestly don't care at this yeah. point. I just wish that I would have, I wish that I would have got them at least once. You know what I'm saying? What do you think about a professional football team in Vegas? Uh, I think that, I think that the ownership and management have to be smart. You know what I mean? I think that um, as far as when it comes to where I have my facilities, I'm not going to have it too close to, uh, you know, the Vegas Strip. You know what I mean? But look, the kids, you know, not the kids, guys can get out there uh, regardless. But, you know, it's different if it's Wednesday night and you got to be up at 630 in the morning and you can go, you know, to the MGM like, Telling me, oh, I'm just gonna go to the Top Golf, and then you find yourself at the, you know, you can't do that in Vegas. You I just can't think do that, that in Vegas. Like, <laughs> no I matter just what, think that uh, there's no such thing as like, yo, I'm just going out for an hour. <laughs> I never like, like, when do you ever leave your room for an hour in Vegas? Like, what's going on? But I think that it has to be something like, um, you know, because guys go to Vegas, guys, are, teams are in Miami, teams are in New York, teams are in LA. You know what I mean? So I just think that one it, it falls on the professional it's a professional sport and you hope that you have you know the majority of your team is professionals you know yeah, what exactly. i mean if you have a 53 man roster i would hope that at least 48 <laughs> of my guys are professionals. you know what i mean and the five that aren't i don't they you know they don't play a major role but um look there's enough days in the week that um that the the guys can get there. And the, well, what I was saying is like, they should have their practice facility at least 45 minutes away. So, you know, even if it, it's going to be a drive to get, it's going to be a pain in the ass to go to the strip. You know yeah. what I mean? Like got to get up in the morning. Um, but what I was getting to is they have plenty of time though. You, you figure, you know, Friday is a light practice. I always went out for dinner on Thursdays, hung out on Thursdays. So I don't know, maybe their night to hang out is Thursday or Friday, but then you got, Shit, Sunday after their game and then Monday, you know, so like, yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that, that, you know, it'll be a problem or a distraction, but I honestly think it's great that they have that access that they could go to Vegas, like, <laughs> like on their off days, every off day. Yeah. And like, cause I, I remember like some off days, um, going out to Vegas, maybe for like a quick 18 hours, you know what I'm saying? And having to leave and being like, dang, I wish I could go back. Yeah, you know it's, what I'm saying? So I just did seven. It's going to be interesting. I just did seven days in Vegas, seven days straight. Right. Not fun. Right. Hey, but so, yeah, yeah. Now nah, I, I used to, we used to go for four and, you know, four at a time. I think I do two and like, uh, yeah, I do two now, but, um, what's going to be, uh, what's going to be interesting is, um, if the motto stands, what happens if Vegas stays in Vegas? Yeah. If that's, if that's, if that's still the motto, we'll never know what happens. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I, uh, I had, I was in New Orleans for a week. I was speaking down there. I was shooting a show down there and doing a bunch of stuff. And, and New Orleans is deadly, man. New Orleans is, I don't know which is worse. Vegas or New Orleans, they're, they're, they're scary cities, man. But uh, I, I will never forget, I walked out of my hotel room as, as a, uh, a drunken fat guy. Out of, out of the casino in, in New Orleans as a drunken fat guy at 7.30 in the morning. 
and I have a hat on and I got sunglasses over my eyes and I'm walking across the street to go back to my hotel. And, uh, and I look up and the light is red and I kind of look to the right and there's nobody there. And I look to the left and there's a couple people and I look back up again and I hear a gunshot and I kind of stop for a second. There was a marathon that was taken off ah. at seven thirty in the morning. That was literally, and I couldn't get any fatter, any drunker, or any sweatier than that moment right there. Where <laughs> two thousand healthy people are just judging me as they're walking past me, and then to make it worse, I finally got through the little crowd. I walked into my hotel and I just grabbed my bags and hopped on a plane because I now had to go to Vegas for five days. And I got on the plane and I sat down, and the flight attendant walks over to me and she says, "Honey." What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but what happens in New Orleans stays in New Orleans because you have no fucking idea what you did last night. So there you go. So that was kind of my little world with that. But uh, did you ever hear of a bar called Double Down in Vegas? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's yeah. one of the top 20 dive bars in the country. So if you ever go back, it's dirty, it's disgusting. They have a drink called Ass Juice, which is served uh -huh. in a toilet. They have a little tiny toilet that they serve it in. It's a great bar, man. I'm a dive bar guy. I like some place that's dark, yeah. kind of dingy, playing great music. I'm a big fan of that. So, see, like I, I'm a dive bar guy with someone that's a dive that does dive bars. You yes. know what I'm saying? Like I'm yeah. like if I'm with someone that like like my friend like last year we were in Oakland. He's like, oh, oh I know some uh, cool little dive bar. All right, let's go. Because obviously, if we're out drinking, like. We're chilling. Like, yeah, I'm not exactly. trying to be around them. Yeah, I'm into that, too. But I just don't know how to go find them. You know what I mean? There's, I well, think of, you call me from now on because I know them all. I, I always think of uh, um, 48 Hours when, you know, when Eddie Murphy walks oh into that. Oh, my God, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that wasn't a dive bar. That was, I don't know if that was a dive bar. But <laughs> that, that was like, you know, breakfast scratch. <laughs> Eddie Murphy, that was awesome, man. That was awesome. That's funny. So, so what are you doing these days? What's going on with you now? Um, well, right now I'm on this uh, Nike tour. Uh, we go all over the country from about March to June. Um, we go to about 16 different cities, uh, testing these high school kids in their 40 vertical jump, having skill, skill, skill periods and skill competitions. Um, and then we pick out like the top kids from each region and invite, and invite them to Beaverton, Oregon, where they have like this big seven on seven tournament. Yeah. Uh, so I, I find a lot of interest in that. That gives me my football fix. And then after that, it'll be summer. So, um, I'll be spending time with the girls and actually I'm doing, I have a summer project. I do, uh, real estate sometimes. Like I, I buy real estate, but now I'm doing uh, my first, uh, flip, oh, my nice. first project. Um, so I'm um, looking forward to that this summer. Um, and then football season, I normally um, commentate or I'll do some radio. Oh, you cool, know? Uh, so I kind of have like a schedule. And then after football season, I definitely will um, like be doing some combine training for, for guys. That's part of a uh, TSC transition that uh, Don and I's company. Um, that's like really when we get in the full swing with uh, working with the athletes that are coming out of the draft that are going into the draft or the athletes that are, you know, just trying to get some training in before, you know, they go back to camp. That's cool, man. That's cool. Well, dude, I, uh, I appreciate your time, man. Very, very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's great. I appreciate it. And uh, and I'm serious about that Philly, man. Next time you come down, I'm going to, you let me know a couple days beforehand. I'll get you the perfect ribeye and you and I'll sit down and have a ribeye, man. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking to check out your, your uh, restaurant as well.
What do you think? I told you he was going to be fun. I told you he was super cool. Keith Bullock, thank you so much for coming out and hanging out with me and talking a little bit of talk on Duffified Live for the week. Um, something that was a lot of fun for me. I really appreciate that for you taking time out of your family and time out of your day. And hey, time out of your only way to the grocery store right now, man. I hope you, uh, I hope you made a hell of a dinner tonight. I can't wait to check it out on Instagram and, and see what you came up with. So, uh, everybody do me a favor. Follow my buddy Keith. He is, uh, Keith Bull or Keith Bullock 53 on Instagram. Um, he is also, uh, K Bull 53 on Twitter. So check him out and, and, uh, have a little bit of fun with him while you're out there. All right. Tell him I said thank you and tell him thank you for taking time out of his day. Cause you know what? He's a busy dude and he's got a lot of stuff going on, but, uh, he took time out to come and talk to me. So I appreciate that. All right. So. Uh, I'm going to close the show because that was, uh, you know, we, we hit an hour and I, I'm trying not to do too much of an hour, more than an hour because y'all have lives that you want to live. So I want to thank everybody for downloading me and for listening to me and, and spending your time with me. Um, do me a favor. Feel free to send me your information. Send me a conversation. You want to hear somebody on the show. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear from you guys. So do not hesitate. Send me a twi- Send me a message on Twitter or go to Instagram or go to Facebook, wherever you want to go. My Instagram and my Twitter are pretty simple. It's Chef Brian Duff, C-H-E-F-B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Facebook is Chef Brian Duffy. That's who I am and that's what I do. And I love those outlets to uh, communicate with everybody. Um, a couple of people that I have to thank on the end of every single show that are very, very important to me. One is Miss Maggie Gagliardi. Yes, it's a tremendous amount of fun, of fun to say. It's even more fun to hang out with her because she is no stranger to going out and having a couple pops, something that I enjoy as well. So we have some fun when we travel or when I uh, get to see her. Um, so check out Maggie Gagliardi. She does all of our illustrations for the show. She does all of our promo pieces. Um, her name is uh, Mags, M-A-G-Z-A-R-T on Instagram. You can also... Do me a favor and go and check out my uh, my girl, Michelle Stockman, out there in Breeze, Illinois, who owns Techno Solutions. <clears throat> Michelle takes care of my website, um, all of my websites. She does some graphic design for me as well. She's a tremendous person, and I appreciate you for all that you do. Check out the boys from RadioInfluence.com, man. Jerry Petuck and Jason Floyd, just wonderful guys who help me out on every single show as my producers um, and technical guys that help me with all the bullshit that ends up happening um, when this show doesn't get done on time. And this week, I am two ahead. So guess what, boys? Thank you for your patience. I got two down, and I'm going to do another one this week. We're going to bang out three. Um, Then uh, check out my stuff, okay? I have a restaurant in Philadelphia. It's called the Flying Fish Craft House. Come on in and check us out. We do some great food. We have amazing beer. We've partnered up with, uh, we have licensed Flying Fish Brewery out of New Jersey to use their name, as well as get exclusive beers from them, which typically we run with about seven of them. Okay. So it's kind of cool that we get to have that relationship with those guys. They do a great job. Um, and then my company is Duffified Experience Group. Uh, I do everything, okay? We do consulting. We do menus. We do financials. We do concept. We do full development across the board. I do training. I do motivational speaking to staff. I come into your restaurant. I will do an evaluation. I will tell you problems, problem areas or ways to increase your revenue. I will also take a look at your menu and do really cool stuff with your menu. Um, I love to get in and have conversations with chefs. Chefs are my world. It's my bloodline. It's what I've come up with. Um, these are the guys that I like to hang out with. So um, I love to come in and do creative sessions with chefs as well. We hang out for eight to 10 hours. We do a little bit of cooking. We do a lot of talking and we come up with some pretty neat ideas, things that I think are pretty awesome that you guys can put on your menus. And it's just a fun day. So do me a favor, check all that stuff out. But thank you so much. Go and tell all your friends about Duffified Live. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher and RadioInfluence.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm out. Take care. Have an awesome one. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef 
B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is an Ian Beckles Flavor in Your Ear Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Jerry Jones is trying to get the NFL to ease up on the marijuana laws. Um, It's about time now, people, just in general. Um, Let me tell you how the marijuana laws work in the league. A lot of people don't really understand how how it works. A lot of people, you know, the funny part is, I didn't understand how it worked during the, during the, while I played. I understand now. Um, you know, you, this is what I played. It's a little different now, I believe. You know you're going to get drug tested in July during training camp. So July, training camp usually started the last week of July. So July 25th, something like that. So you know that the first day or second day of training camp, so July 26th, you're going to get drug tested by the NFL. You knew this. You don't get drug tested the whole off season. You know July 26th you're going to get drug tested. Therefore, June 26th, you stop smoking. Now I'm going to preface it by saying this. I didn't smoke it at that time. I didn't say I'm not smoking it now, but I didn't smoke it at that time. I was scared of, you know, just the stress of the whole thing. So I would watch everybody around me with a month left Stop smoking and taking what you got to clear your system out. The day they they do the drug tests on July 26th during training camp, that night, everybody is high as giraffe pussy because they haven't been high for a month. Fact. And the rest of the season, they can smoke every day, all day. So how what is that doing? If you're just stopping people from smoking for one month, it's not doing anything whatsoever. You can find Ian Beckles' Flavor in Your Ear on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.